Places in the world, I have to be here. Hey, what you doing sitting all alone by the window? Nothing. I've done nothing, and I can tell you're not doing it. What? I've done a whole lot of nothing in my time, and you're not doing it. You're definitely doing something. I'm just looking out the window. I don't mean to argue with you, but you're not just looking out the window. No, you're trying to figure something out. So you're the world's great authority on doing nothing. I'm so glad you've taken time out of your busy schedule to come and talk with me. Oh, it's no bother. Did you read my book? What? No? Oh, don't feel bad. No one else did either. It was a book about doing nothing. 150 blank pages. What are you talking about? I just figured people are too busy worrying about things and they needed to learn how to do nothing. You mean to tell me you really printed, published, made a book with nothing on the pages? Nope. I just figured it'd make you laugh if I told you I did. You mind if I ask you a question? No, go ahead and ask. May not answer you, though. Fair enough. What do you see when you look out this window? I see a road leading into the world, but no way out. That's kind of what I figured. What do you mean? How did you know? I could tell by the way you sat there, just staring and shaking your head from time to time. How long were you stalking me? It didn't take very long, and I wasn't stalking you. You see, a while back, I was doing the same thing. On the surface, it doesn't look like there's too much out there. But when you stare for a whole long while and let your mind think about all the things that you don't have, you start to see all those things just beyond the horizon. Yeah, I see them all. So what do you see when you look out the window? Well, I see over in the distance the park where I learned to fly a kite. And over there, that's the school where I met the girl who would be my wife. And back there, that's the hospital where both my kids were born. It's a little bigger now than it was back then. I was born in that hospital, too. So have you, been, have you lived here the whole life? Yep. Me, too. Didn't you ever want to leave? I mean, didn't you ever want to get out and see all that was out there? When I was your age, that's all I ever thought of. But you see over there, past the shopping center, you see that steeple sticking up behind the grocery store? Yeah. One day, when I wasn't much older than you, I was sitting in that church with my wife and kids. I wasn't paying attention to the service at all. At one point, though, my wife sets her hand on mine, and she leans over and says, I love you. It was like I woke up from a coma. What do you mean? I wasn't happy with the way things were going in my life. You see, I inherited my farm from my father when he died. I was 17. By the time I was 19, I was married with my first child on the way. I can't imagine having a family anytime soon. There's so much I want to do. When I was your age, it's what I thought too. You know, I played football in school. You know, folks said I was pretty good. I was going to play college ball and from there, well, who knows? The farm demanded a lot of time. The older I got, I felt all those things I wanted just slip away. But that Sunday, when my wife took my hand, the only thing I remember from that service is he makes me lie down in green pastures. So when I got home, that's what I ended up doing. I don't follow you. You went home and laid down in your field? Yep. That's not how I planned it. See, when I got home, I went out onto the farm to do all those things that needed to be done. As I was walking across the pasture to get to the barn, it felt like someone knocked me down and, and sat on my chest. What happened? Did you have a heart attack? 
No, I didn't have a heart attack. I just couldn't get up. I laid there for a while. After a few hours, I think my wife thought I was a little crazy. She's not the only one. I don't follow you. 30 years ago, you went home and lay down in a field, and now you're here talking about not writing a book with blank pages? When I laid down in that field, I thought about all the things I needed to do. I thought about all the things that could have been. The longer I laid there, the emptier I felt. At least until it was supper time. Now you've really lost me. Fried chicken and mashed potatoes aren't what I'm talking about here. I know. Let me finish. As I laid there in that field, I heard these two little voices calling out. Daddy, Mommy says supper's ready. (laughs) When my kids saw where I was, they ran over to me. They looked at me real quick and they laid down beside me. In just a second, my daughter goes, Daddy, what do you see? At that moment, I was able to sit up. I looked at my two wonderful children. In the distance, I could see my beautiful wife standing on the porch of the house my father had built. I saw all the fields ready to be harvested and that barn that needed to be repaired before winter. And I said the first thing that came to mind, I see everything I ever wanted. Thanks. You're welcome. I think we all get wrapped up with what we think we need from time to time, instead of being content with all that we have. I guess you're right. Thanks again. I'm starting to see things a lot differently now. (laughs) Hey, I'll walk you to your car. Think you could get me a signed copy of your book? (laughs) We have been working through the book of Psalms, and according to my calculations... I could be wrong. We've got counting today, maybe only two more Sundays here. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Then we'll be in our new, our new place over there off of I-17. So, uh, so three more counting today. We'll be over there, hopefully. Don't tell Scott I told you. Um, That's what we're kind of hoping for and counting, counting on. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 23. Well, we've got a feast here this morning in this psalm. As we've been working our way through the book of Psalms, we've really summarized the book of Psalms like this. There's no greater prescription for what ails our soul than deep communion with God. It's what this book of Psalms is all about. And uh, came across an interesting story. It's actually in, in his book, I Shall Not Want. Robert Ketchum tells about a Sunday school teacher who asked her group of children if any of them could quote the entire 23rd Psalm. A little little four-and-a-half-year-old girl was among those who raised their hands. A bit skeptical, the teacher asked if uh, she could really quote the entire Psalm. The little, little girl came to the podium, faced the class, made a little bow, and said, The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. She then bowed and sat down. And it was obvious that uh, she didn't cover all the verses there. She hit the first verse and missed the the next uh, five verses in our text. But the little girl captured David's heart in Psalm 23. The idea throughout the psalm is that we are utterly contented in the shepherd's care and there is nothing else that we desire. Contentment. That's what we're talking about This morning, everyone wants it. Very few find it. 
the billion-dollar ad industry preys on our lack of it. Poor men are rich with it. Rich men are poor without it. And it can only, ultimately, be found in the good shepherd. In fact, if you're here this morning and if you can't imagine being content unless some, some things change or something changes in your life, then you're not living in the reality of the riches of Psalm 23. He may be your good shepherd theoretically, but not practically. And hopefully by the time we're finished up, I can help you to, to make him your good shepherd practically in your everyday life. Psalm 23 is often read at funerals. How many have ever heard it at a, at a funeral? Yeah, pretty common at funerals, but it's not about dying. It's about living. It's about living life to its fullest. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this text here this morning. Father God, no cherished words have brought more comfort, courage, and ultimately contentment like Psalm 23. What we have in you, our shepherd, is infinitely and eternally better than anything we have or don't have in life. Open our eyes that we may see these wonderful things from your word and satisfy us with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this. Let me read through the text. Probably familiar with it. Some of you might have even be able to recite it, but we'll work through it and then uh, we'll kind of walk through our notes here this morning. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, what does it say? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. I've, I've been meditating on these the last couple of weeks, and oh my goodness. Each of these phrases, we could spend uh, weeks, if not months, on each of these phrases. I could teach a whole sermon on each of these phrases. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And, and let me just say this. If, there's, if, if you ever have a, even a hint of inordinate anxiety or stress, you're not living in the reality of Psalm 23. Notice I said inordinate. I mean, we're going to have a measure of that, and that's normal for our life. But when it begins to really control our lives and dominate our lives, it's because you don't understand what, what you have in Psalm 23. So let's walk through this. Here's, first of all, we have, um, we have this thesis statement. It's verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, it's interesting that this metaphor of shepherd and his sheep, the word sheep is found some 400 times in the Bible, and the word shepherd is found some 100 times in the Bible. 
The word Lord there is, uh, Darren did a great job at explaining the difference between when you're reading in the Old Testament, you have uh, lowercase, uh, actually capital L, lowercase O-R-D. It's, you guys remember what he said last week? He's, it's speaking of Adonai. It's uh, the title for God, sovereign God. But when you have uppercase L-O-R-D, it's his personal name. It's Yahweh. This is what we have here. Yahweh. In fact, that name was so sacred that scribes would, when, before they wrote it down, they would go and bathe, then come back and write it, and then destroy the, the, the pen or whatever they were using to write with. It was a very sacred name, and so he's saying, the Lord is my, notice the personal pronoun, my shepherd, I shall not want. The message says, I don't need a thing with the Lord as my shepherd. Now, I was raised around horses and cows and did a little roping with my dad uh, for a while and had chickens and dogs and all kinds of different kinds of farm animals, but I know very little about sheep. The only thing I know about sheep is uh, leg of lamb and wool, okay? And the leg of lamb that we had one time, it did not taste very good. I don't think it was cooked right. But the wool, we don't know much of that here in uh, the desert. And, and so most of the, uh, the research that I've done through the years, and I even talked with a shepherd a number of years ago. We had a shepherd that attended Desert Breeze while I was speaking on it when we were going through the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, which talks about the good shepherd. And I found it interesting that they, uh, they validated the things that I, I said about sheep. And what we're going to see, and what you need to know, that when the Bible refers to God as our shepherd, that's a very, very positive thing. But when, when we are in the category of being sheep, that's a very negative thing. It's not very complimentary. Because sheep are very, you know, when you think of sheep, oftentimes when you read this, everybody thinks of sweet, fluffy little lamb. But sheep are uh, driven they're dumb, they are defenseless, and they're very dirty, diseased animals. So when he's referring to us as sheep, what we see throughout Scripture, that's what characterizes sheep. So it's not very complimentary. That's, that's the category that we find ourselves in. Now, Notice the thesis statement here. He says, I will never lack anything. This is kind of what, we're, what, he, what he's saying here when he says, I, I don't need a thing. I shall not want. Here's your fill in the blank. I will never lack anything the shepherd thinks is good for me. That, that's in essence what he's, what he's saying. It's, I will not lack anything that I desire. It, it's not saying that. I will not lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good for me. So it's, it's under his control. It's his guiding us and leading us and taking care of us. I gave you a number of cross-references here. Psalm 34, 10 says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, maybe you're familiar with that. The apostle Paul is in prison, and he says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. So he's kind of talking a lot about what we're talking about here. In fact, he goes on, and that's where we've got that very popular verse where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he says, I can can handle any kind of circumstance, whether I have a lot or little, whether I'm in need or abundance. So he really kind of defines this broad spectrum of circumstances. He says, hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then Philippians 4.19 
he says that God is able to, to supply all of my needs. God will supply all of my needs. Second Peter 1.3 says this, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. So those are the cross references. So the Bible validates this whole idea that I will never lack anything the shepherd thinks is good for me. He's going to take care of me. And so there's a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves. First of all, because promises, I mean, you guys would agree with this. Promises are only as good as the one that's making those promises. Would you guys agree with that? Because you've heard promises by people before and you go, yeah, good, you know, not much luck that's going to happen because I know that person. Because some people, the more you get to know them, they can make all the promises in the world. You know they're not going to follow through. But God is making some pretty bold promises throughout his word. And so I think it would be important for us to ask the question, well, what are his, what are his credentials? Does he have character? Can we trust this, what David is saying, and what other places where it tells us that we can trust that he's going to meet our needs? He's going to take care of us. He will look after us. And in fact, one of the things that I've found, if you're having a real tough time, and like I said, if you have this kind of inordinate anxiety going on in your life, you're you're kind of stressed out inordinately, it's because you're not living in the 23rd Psalm. And the way that you do that is uh, is that you've got to get to know the one who's making the promises here. The more you get to know him, the more you will trust him. Really, really, faith and trust is a matter of getting to know God. Spending time with God is how you get to know God. And so the more you spend time with him, the more you will get to know him, and the more you will find that he is amazingly trustworthy. He will follow through with all of his promises for you and me. And so, so it's important to know that. In fact, Psalm 9, 9 through 10 It says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know his name, his credentials, his character, those who know his name will trust in him because he has never forsaken those who seek him. That's... So it's really a matter of spending time with him, getting to know him. And so uh, there's a number of books that talk about... uh, 23rd Psalm, one that I came across that was really helpful, Philip Keller, a shepherd, looks at the 23rd Psalm. He was a shepherd who was also a pastor and became a pastor. But here's one by Max Licato, and I want, you to, I want you to listen to what Max Licato says in relationship, and this is on the 23rd Psalm, but he talks about, about Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, personal name. He gives us his personal name because he wants to be close to us. He wants us to be close to him. Listen to how he describes this. So we're just kind of focusing on his credentials here. Yahweh is an unchanging God. He is also an uncaused God. Though he creates, God was never created. Though he makes, he was never made. Though he causes, he was never caused. Hence, the psalmist proclamation before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 92. God is Yahweh, an unchanging God, an uncaused God, an ungoverned God. And then he goes on. Now listen to what he says because he's going to kind of compare God to us. You and I are governed The weather determines what we wear. The terrain tells us how to travel. 
Gravity dictates our speed, and, and health determines our strength. We may challenge these forces and alter them slightly, but we never remove them. God, our shepherd, doesn't check the weather. He makes it. He doesn't defy gravity. He created it. He isn't affected by health. He has no body. Jesus said God is spirit, John 4, 24. Since he has no body, he has no limitations. Equally active in Cambodia as he is in Connecticut. Where can I go to get away from your spirit, asked David. Where can I run from you? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I lie down in the grave, you are there. Psalm 139, 7 through 8. Unchanging, uncaused, ungoverned. These are only a fraction of God's credentials or qualities But aren't they enough to give you a glimpse of your father? Don't we need this kind of shepherd? Don't we need an unchanging shepherd? So so if you're struggling with trusting God, it comes down to focusing on his credentials, on his character. Those who know his name, his character will trust in him because he has never forsaken those who seek him. So pretty amazing. So, so we know that, but now we've got to define... Oh, and before we do this, let me just... A uh, quick story here. We're going to define contentment because we've got to understand what contentment is. But a uh, quick story here because this is what's fascinating. This, so this uncaused God, this creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, okay, I can understand that, but does he really care about me? And so this is how I would kind of bridge the gap between that. Yes, he is great, but he's also good. How do we know that? Um, when our kids were uh, at home, I have, I have three and then the six grandkids, but three kids, and uh, they were at home, and we thought, hey, it'd be a good idea to buy them a dog. You know, uh, they all wanted a dog, and so we, we bought a brown lab, hoping the kids would learn responsibility. You guys laugh. Because Brownie, our dog, our brown lab, would have died before our kids learned responsibility. And uh, because guess who uh, ultimately, and I didn't really want the dog because I know animals are, you know, a lot of work and being raised around animals and, and they can be a lot of work. But guess who got stuck with taking care of Brownie? Nancy. No, wrong. No. Are you kidding? That dog would have died. Uh, no, I probably wouldn't have. But, uh, but I, I, yours truly, right here. I took care of that dog. I, I fed her, I watered her, I took her out. And, and in fact, there was one time where she got parvo. Anybody know what parvo is? Not a good thing for dogs. And so I even, I was a medic at the time and I started an IV on, on Brownie. And uh, the kids prayed and Brownie survived, survived the parvo. Uh, but... Uh, but it was interesting. You know, Brownie was an interesting, really an interesting dog. I, I mean, I, I took care of her for 15 years. Now, I have to be very honest. Uh, we didn't have a gate or anything, and Brownie would go out and wander the neighborhood. We didn't know that until we were coming back home late one night. And we were driving, and we go, does that look like, that looks like Brownie. So we, we kind of rode up next to her. She's kind of coming down the road. And she had one of those, I, we go, Brownie. She looked at us like, oh. Got caught. I mean, she had a phenomenal personality, and she just hightailed it back home. But, but I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you that if Brownie would have ever run out in front of a car, I would have not sacrificed my life for Brownie. Sorry. 
Now, if Brownie would have been a cat, I would have thrown the cat out in front of the car. I'm kidding. See, I know there's a lot of cat lovers out there. But here's what's amazing. It, this is what it tells us in John, uh, John 10. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's crazy. It talks about King David, and he went out and fought the, the bear and the lion, protecting the sheep. But I don't think that he would have given his life. If he knew that he was going to probably take his life, he would have said, oh, okay, have a couple sheep. But see, our, our good shepherd, he died for you. He laid down his life for you. So, so here we've got this God that is so great that we can't even, we can't even wrap our minds around him and yet he came to this earth and he gave his life for us, driven, dumb, defenseless, dirty sheep. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's, that's the idea because David understood sheep. He was a shepherd. He understood all of that. And he's really talking about the Lord is my shepherd. He, I mean, he understood the implications. He's actually talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's looking ahead. We look back. That's phenomenal. I'm telling you, here's the way that you remedy the stress and the strain of your life. You get stressed out because you don't know the shepherd. He's, he's powerful, yet he's personal. He's transcendent, and yet he's imminent. He's close. He's great beyond words. Oh, my goodness, and he's good. He's so good beyond words. And so David spends the rest of this uh, this chapter, this psalm, just describing all that he does for us, how he meets our needs, how he's there for us. Now, we need to talk a little bit about contentment. I put it on your notes. Let me walk through this with you real quick. What is contentment? And this is actually from Easton's Bible Dictionary. This is a resource that's online if you ever go on uh, Gateway Bible. Anybody ever use Gateway Bible? And on there, there's a bunch of resources. This is one of the dictionaries that I got this from. So all this stuff, I mean, years ago, you used to have to pay Millions of dollars for all these resources. I mean, not millions, but I spent thousands of dollars on all these resources. And most of these, all, all these resources are online for free nowadays. And so this is what Easton's Bible Dictionary says. And let me just kind of walk through it. I want you to think about contentment because he's, we're really defining this idea of I shall not want. So a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be, so it's confined to your lot, whatever it may be. So you're okay with whatever God allows into your life, good, bad, ugly, because he's your shepherd. He knows what's best for you. There's some verses there you can look at. By the way, when, I, when we talk about the Christian life, the Christian life is not the easiest life. It's not a painless or problem-free life. So when we talk about contentment, we're not talking about an easy life. We're not talking about a painless or problem-free life. Nor are we talking about a life where you're going to have all your questions answered this side of eternity okay that's not what we're talking about but we are talking about right here a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot whatever it may be here's the next one it is opposed to now this is how you can tell whether or not you have contentment or don't have contentment it is opposed to envy if you have envy you don't have contentment or greed you don't have contentment. Or ambition. This word ambition, you might think, well, I thought you were supposed to have a little ambition. Well, the competitive attitude of uh, disrespect and superiority is what he's talking about there 
You can look that verse up on your own, Proverbs 13.10. But that's what he's talking about, where you're driven with this ambition, with this desire to achieve. And as I'll, I'll say here in a little bit, it, it's not out of, it's not from an identity in Christ, but it's for your identity. You're, you're, it's out of neediness, rather out of abundance. So there's, a, there's appropriate ambition in your life, but it's why, why do you want to achieve? Why do you want to accomplish? Why do you want that new home? Why do you want that car? Why do you want that job? Why do you want to have kids? Whatever it might be. And this ambition is out of an emptiness, a filling a void inside that ultimately God can only fill. And then anxiety. Ooh, and how about this one? Complaining. Complaining. Boy, we live in a society of just filled with complaining. And so those would be the characteristics of someone who's not living in contentment, living in the middle of Psalm 23. And then this dictionary goes on. It says, it arises from the inward disposition and is the offspring of humility. Humility is not a low view of yourself. It's an accurate view of yourself. And an intelligent consideration of the goodness and kindness of divine providence, that God's in control. He's the one that's, uh, everything is father-filtered that comes into your life. So it's the goodness and kindness of divine providence, the greatness of divine promises, and our unworthiness as well as from the view the gospel opens up to us of rest and peace hereafter. And let me just add, so he talked about uh, the, the goodness and kindness of divine providence and the greatness of divine promises. But let me also add to that, because I believe it's part of that, the gratification of, of divine presence, the presence of God. Do you, do you have any idea what you have when you put your faith in Jesus? When you put your faith in Jesus, you have life's greatest treasure you have the approval of heaven God's approval and you have the very presence of God never to leave you or forsake you that's crazy I mean how could you not be content but we forget that I have the approval of heaven it's not based on my performance it's based on Jesus' performance and he gave that to me I have all the acceptance and security and significance I'll ever need through Jesus Christ. See, that's the Christian life. That's why, you know, when I see people reject Christ or reject the Christian life, I, I, I have to wonder, do you even understand what you're rejecting? Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Why, why would you reject that? Why would you reject him? Don't you want him in your life? There's, there's nothing that's more soul-satisfying and life-liberating than to know him and to experience him and to walk with him. That's what David is saying here. It's amazing. It's, it's incredible. And what I, have, what I have in God is greater by far than anything I have or don't have in life. And the contentment and the satisfaction that I have in him makes makes bad days durable and good days leavable. I mean, you're not, you're not attached to any set of circumstances or people or things. You're not overly attached as if that's your sense of identity and security and significance because you have him. You have him. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I don't want anything. I don't need anything. That's what he's saying here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So, okay. So, how, how the good shepherd meets all my needs. Let's knock this out. We'll, knock, we'll, we'll try to keep a pretty steady pace here with this. Uh, we're going to take communion here this morning. But let's go back because the rest of it is just talking about the implications. So, in verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Uh, here's your next fill in the blank. He gives rest for my weariness. He gives rest for my weariness. Now, let's go back to sheep. Sheep are terribly driven animals. Uh, they're nervous. They're anxious animals. And in fact, did you notice it says quiet waters? Why quiet waters? Because a babbling brook so frightens sheep that they will uh, die of thirst before they will drink from that babbling brook. That's just, they, they're just, they're frightened by that. And sheep won't lay down. In fact, I, one of the, one of the uh, sources that I looked at, it was actually this book by Philip Keller, Shepherd Looks at 23rd Psalm. This is what he said. Actually, he said that they will not lie down unless fear, uh, free of fear, friction, friction from other sheep, flies or parasites, or a need to find food and water. That's the only time that they will lie down. If they're free from all of those fears, fear, friction, flies, a need to find water. So he gives rest to my weariness. Now I want you to, let's, let's carry that over now to our relationship with God. He gives rest to our weariness. Why are we so weary? Why are we so weary? The gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves, for we are already proven and secure in Christ. The reason why we're weary is because we're trying to prove ourselves. Because we don't understand how we're already proven in Christ. Does that make sense? That's what drives us. Why are, why are we perfectionists? Why are we so driven for more money and bigger homes and all of these things? It's because we're not finding that contentment in Him. And in fact, here's one of the verses I put down. Jesus said this, Come unto me, all ye, all who are labor, that means you're just, you're worn out, and are heavy laden. You just have a whole to-do list still to do. You know, you're worn out and you still have this long list. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now here's what separates Christianity from all the other major religions of our world today. Christianity, let's start with the major cults and religions of our world today. All the major religions basically say, you do these things that gives you a list of things to do. You do these things and then God will uh, approve of you. It's based on your performance. You better perform. Christianity is not based on our performance. It's based on what Jesus Christ did for us. It's based on his performance. And my putting my faith in him, now what he has achieved is now on my account. And in fact, the way that the Father relates to me, this is pretty incredible, the way that the Father relates to me, how much does the Father love the Son? How much does the Father enjoy the Son? That's how much he loves and enjoys you. See, that's your identity is in Jesus. And, oh, and by the way, you can't foul that up because it's, if, if you didn't earn it, you can't unearn it through bad performance. It's been given to you. So, so what about performance? Well, performance, obviously, you're going to live for him. You would live for him because of all that he's done for you. 
And you're not living for him to, to gain his approval. It's out of his approval. You live for him. If you're not living for him, you need to go back to his approval of you and his love for you. You don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder. You come back to what is already yours in Christ. Otherwise, we have this relentless drivenness. Listen, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done, he has forgiven you of all of your sins. There is no sin that we've ever done that will exceed the grace of God. There's no sin that has been done to us that could ever exceed God's God's grace and his love and his redemption for our lives. It's crazy. This is unbelievable what he offers us. There is a freedom. He approves of me? Yeah, perfectly, through Jesus Christ, right now. You're accepted. You're secure. You're significant in Jesus. What I need to do? Put your faith in Jesus. Live with your faith in him. And the more you live in the reality of what you have in him, it will transform your life. You don't, you don't live your life, you know, you don't obey to get his approval. You have his approval, therefore you obey. Don't reverse that, it becomes religion. All the major religions are obey, God will approve of you. Christianity, God approves of you through Jesus Christ, therefore your life is going to be different. You're going to live your life for him and for his glory. Oh my goodness, that's, that's wonderful. Some of you are so stressed out. And you aren't living in the reality of what you have in Jesus. You just got to hang loose. Got to say, hey, man, God, help me to understand that. Help me to get close, up close and personal with you even more. So, okay, I said I was going to go through these really fast, wasn't I? (laughs) Kind of shot that one down, didn't I? So here's weariness. Weariness often happens when I try to do more than I should or when I do what I should without God's help or I... I do what I should for my identity rather than from my identity. Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you go to work? Why are you getting involved in ministry? Hopefully it's coming out of this sense of approval. He approves of you. He loves you. By the way, if, if your expectation of God's blessing depends on how well uh, you feel you're living the Christian life, then you don't understand grace. If, you, if your expectation of God's blessing for your life is based on how well you feel you're living the Christian life, how well you live the Christian life is based on his blessing. comes out of that. Okay, I've said that enough. So here's the next one. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Sheep are terribly dumb animals. Anybody here ever met a sheep trainer? Have you ever seen sheep tricks? Oh, you have? Sheep trainer? You was a shepherd? Okay. And uh, what's interesting about sheep is that one sheep will go off the cliff and they'll have a whole bunch of other ones that will follow them, almost as if they're seeing what the first one did, almost as if they're going saying, hey, that doesn't look so bad. (laughs) Okay, that was bad. He guides me through indecisiveness. He guides me through indecisiveness. Questions abound with singleness, marriage, career, children, health, family, faith, finances. He guides me through indecisiveness. The primary way he guides us through his word, all scripture, 
is God breathed. By the way, it's for his namesake. This goes back to, it's not for your namesake. A religious person does good motivated for his namesake, out of fear and pride. You're never to be motivated to do good out of fear and pride. It's called common virtue. And by the way, there's a lot of pastors that kind of subtly, I don't know that some of them even know this, but they subtly motivate their people to give and to be involved in ministry out of fear and pride. That's common virtue. That's actually still just kind of harnessing the the thing that's wrong with us, and that's the self-centeredness within our own hearts. If I'm, if I'm doing this out of fear and pride, it's out of my own self-centeredness as opposed to for his name's sake. I'm, I'm doing it out of the abundance that I have in him. I'm doing it out of a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and his sacrificial life for me. You guys tracking with me? So, it's, so when you do good, when you want to live according to God's word, what motivates that? It should be for his name's sake. Oh my goodness, because of what he's done. Not out of fear and pride, but out of love. Out of a heart of love that's been filled up with God. And then what's interesting about this is Psalm 23. Verses 1 through 3, David is talking about God, and then he shifts in verse 4, and he begins to talk to God. Do you notice the the transition? And it goes because he's going through... the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Did you catch the, even though I walk through, you're going to get through it. Some of you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. You guys are going through the valley of the shadow of death. As I look out over the audience, there's people that are going through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm telling you, he is with you. I see him working in your life. You're going to get through this. That's what it says. Though I walk through, it's not a dead end. By the way, if you haven't gone through the valley of the shadow of the death, you will. So you don't wait to prepare for the valley of the shadow of death. You cultivate relationship with him now so that when you go through the valley of the shadow of death... Boy, you know him. You can put your faith in him. You're already trusting in him. Sheep are defenseless animals. They don't have fangs or claws. You can, they can't outrun you. And it's why you never see uh, a sheep as a team mascot. The mighty sheep. Nobody wants a sheep for team mascot. So his presence conquers my fearfulness. See, if you're afraid, it's because the danger is more real to you than your deliverer. So practice his presence until your deliverer is more real than the danger at hand. That's what it is. Just get to know, get to know your deliverer. Get to know your shepherd. Spend time with him. In fact, you pray, God, open my eyes to see you more clearly, to see your greatness and your goodness in my life. Help me to have a sense of your presence. I don't know if you guys have ever, have you guys ever had that before? I hope you have. Have you ever had such a sense of his presence in your life that it was almost like whatever anxiety was there, it just began to dispel the anxiety and the fear because you had this strong sense of his presence. That's what he's talking about here. This is something that's not, see, these words are not just theoretical, wishful thinking, you know, bumper sticker theology. We pat people on the back and say, hey, God's with you. No, this is for real. This is real stuff. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And God, you're bigger than anything I face. And there's a sense of his presence, 
You know, and you can know that theoretically, but you need to know it practically, and you can have a sense of his presence. And there are times, you know, I struggle having that sense of his presence, and so I'll spend a lot of time in prayer, and I'll memorize scriptures, and I'll, God, help me to see that you are with me. And uh, I'll seek him in that until I have that sense in my life, and that's what we need. And then he goes on here, verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, what's interesting is, like, uh, unlike cats and dogs, sheep get lost easy. And they're very, as I said, very dirty, diseased kind of animals. And uh, the rod is protection, discipline. Even they use the rod for examination. It's just this long pole. And then the staff, you guys know what a staff is with the hook? It was really meant, it was kind of a compassion, kind of represented compassion. Gently brings sheep back into the fold. You have the example of, of our shepherd, Luke 15, where he left the 99 and went after the one. And I started thinking, what other examples in the Scripture is there of the, the shepherd going out after the sheep? And, and one is the Old Testament book of Jonah. And in fact, God went after him and sent a whale to get him and bring him back. Isn't that interesting? And uh, here's the thing. His discip- he disciplines my waywardness. He disciplines my waywardness. The shepherd will bring, will bring into your life exactly what you need. Um, if I were to do a show of hands here, how many would say that? In fact, uh, let me read a couple verses here. Uh, Psalm 119.67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. David, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I, might not, that I might learn your statutes. How many by show of hands would say that it was suffering that led you to God or brought your wandering heart back to God? Show of hands, show of hands. Okay, look at that. There's quite a number of people here. So, no suffering is too great to endure if it brings you a greater experience of the greatness and the goodness of God. And in fact, let me, just, uh, let me just say this. If you're happily content without Jesus, the kindest thing God could do is wreck your life. Wow, Pastor Ray, that's not what we wanted to hear this morning. <laughs> Woohoo! That's the best thing he could do to bring your wandering heart back to him. Yeah, but I really don't feel like I need him. That's the problem. You are desperate for him and don't know it because you've so overly medicated yourself on the people, things, and circumstances of life. You're so wrapped up in the temporal that you're missing the eternal. And the best thing that he could do for any of us is to, is to allow, that's why this, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. He disciplines my waywardness. Here's the next one, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He heals my brokenness. Those are sweet words. We were meditating on this. I was in the, kind of in the waiting room at a hospital here a couple weeks ago. And uh, my mom and I, we were talking about that with my wife. And he goes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? Isn't that crazy? I'm feasting while people are attacking and hating me and despising me. And I'm... I'm celebrating. In other words, I really believe, I believe what, what we have, all the love you need, you have in Christ, freeing you to love people who hate you without needing love from them in return. There's so much love in God that he so fills us up. It's a feast that even when people hate us, 
That's, that's a little bit of the idea that you get here. You anoint my head with oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. My cup overflows speaks of the Spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled life gives you increased courage and happiness because it's this increased awareness of the presence of God. And, uh, and in fact, here's a couple of verses here. It says Psalm 34, 18. He is close to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. When God is finished with your life, he won't, you're not going to look like a broken piece of china thrown together with super glue, okay? He's going to do a fantastic job. He is working in your life. He's bringing all the pieces back together. and He's bringing you to a place of wholeness so that you are able to put on display the glory and the grace and the goodness of God that you can even feast when people are attacking you and coming after you. That's pretty amazing. Then the next one, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. The word surely is just, it's not maybe or possibly, but definitely take this to the bank. And then he uses some pretty phenomenal words. Goodness, surely goodness provides my every need. Love is covenant love. Has said is the word. And this is, this is God's covenant love. That I will never, ever, ever leave you. In fact, I, I've, I put this in my own blood. We talked about it in um, the 15th chapter of Genesis, this, this covenant. It's a blood covenant where they cut the animal in half and they walk between the pieces and God walked between the pieces, but Abraham didn't. Almost as if to say, if I violate this covenant or if you violate it, may I be cut to pieces. And he was for you and I. And then he says, will follow me, pursue me, chases me, tracks me down all the days of my life. He reassures me in my doubtfulness. And then, uh, and then here's the last one. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is preparing for my eternal blissfulness. He is, return, he is preparing for my eternal blissfulness. One of these days, one of these days, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will take your last breath on earth and your first breath in heaven and you will come face to face with the one who would rather die than to live all eternity without you. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And, and these seemingly difficult circumstances that we went through in life will seem light and momentary in light of the glory that we will experience with him. We're going to bring the band up and we're going to pass out the communion trays in just a moment so that if uh, the people are going to pass out the communion would find their way to the back. And, and actually, I think uh, just Chuck and Ryan are going to come up and do a song. Let me end with a story. There's a... Uh, you guys are probably familiar with the uh, quote by C.S. Lewis. He says that it's not that our, our desires are too strong, but they're too weak. We tend to be like little children who play in the mud puddle when there's a Caribbean cruise kind of waiting for us. How many are f- somewhat familiar with that uh, quote? I kind of misquoted it a little bit, but you guys are familiar with that. And I, I think that's, that certainly if you're a Christian, you're no longer playing in the mud puddle because you know that you have infinite joy, and yet you might be on the cruise, but maybe not experiencing all the, the amenities on that cruise. Listen to this story. There's a story uh, is told of a man who paid for an ocean cruise. The fare took all of his money, leaving him nothing for meals on the week-long trip. So he brought peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with him. And while his fellow passengers enjoyed sumptuous meals and buffets... Every evening, he went to his cabinet, cabin in embarrassment and ate his meager meals. 
The man was miserable knowing that everyone else was eating. Leaving the ship, one of the porters asked him, how did you enjoy the cruise? And he said, well, I loved the ride, but I was always hungry because I couldn't afford any of the food. The porter looked at him in astonishment and replied, sir, the meals were included in the price of your ticket. You were miserable for no reason at all. The writer goes on and says, I... at all. All of your answers were available in my grace, but you didn't grow in grace and never came to understand my sufficiency. When you met Jesus Christ, everything you need for your Christian life was included in the salvation ticket. He you don't know all the goodness God has supplied for you. So as we take communion... This is what I want you to do. I want you to kind of go through this list. Where, where is your restlessness? Is it weary? Are you weary? Is it indecisiveness? Is it fearfulness? Waywardness? Brokenness? Doubtfulness? Take that to God in prayer. They're going to pass out the communion elements. Just hang on to them. We'll walk you through the process, and then we'll be finished up this morning. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. Now we, we open our hearts to you. Speak to us as we take communion, as we are reminded that, that your body was broken, your blood was shed to give us all the acceptance, security, significance we'll ever need. So God, we put our faith in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Here's what's... Uh, so stunningly beautiful about the gospel we've been talking about here is that though he is the one offended by our sin he is the one who makes amends to himself through Christ's death and so that through him he gave his life for us so that we might have have fullness of life as I was reading through uh these chapters, I read through the Psalms throughout the month, and, and it all of a sudden dawned on me that Psalm 23 follows Psalm 22. Of course it does in number, but there's, some, there's something very significant in that. You guys know what Psalm 22 is? Psalm 22 is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we have Psalm 23. This broken bread represents his broken body for us and this grape juice represents his shed blood for us it's because of what he did he's our good shepherd and we will not want let's take this together the bread in Jesus name let's also drink the cup in his name Would you stand with me?